0: Thank you.
1: Well, good morning, Fire Will. Isn't it good to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, you know, I've said this before, you know, Sunday's a day of joy. And one thing we do here at Fire Will, and I've said this before, I look forward to coming here every Sunday, all right, because it, it, church is fun. You think church is fun? It, it is fun. So we are excited, and we're going um, to have a double dose of Chris this morning. So we're going to have a... Chris leading worship and we're gonna have brother Chris preaching this well this morning special hello to those of you who are watching us online we want to say and remind you that you are loved let's pray Heavenly Father we do lift you up and we exalt you Lord because you are worthy to be praised you are the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end from everlasting to everlasting you are God and we thank you Lord that you love us we thank you for the cross for the blood of jesus we thank you lord that there is nothing that can ever separate us from your love lord i pray that the music today that the preaching that everything about this service would glorify you and would exalt your name for you are worthy O lord and i pray this in the name of jesus christ our lord and our savior amen
2: Good morning, Firewheel. How are you today? Glad to be at church? Hey, do me a favor, look at your neighbor and say, I am glad you're here. Now look at your other neighbor and say, God is glad you're here. <laughs> your mercy taught us
3: how to dance, to celebrate with all we have and will dance.
4: See?
2: song we're going to do is called uh, God of this city. I think most of you guys have heard it before. Uh, the verse goes like this. It says, you're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. Man, this morning as we sing this song, man, I, I love if you ever get a chance, look up how this song or where it was created, where it was made. It's a phenomenal story. Um, but this morning, as we sing this song, let's pray for the city of Rowlett. Let's pray for the city of, of Garland and, and all of our surrounding areas this morning. Let's pray in our minds as we worship God. Um, let's pray for our family and our friends and those people that, man, they don't know Jesus this morning, okay? Um, you know, the chorus goes like this. It says, greater things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in this city. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. I think, I think that there's still many things to come in this city. Uh, so this morning, as we sing this song, or as Lilia sings this song, man, let's just pray for that this morning, okay?
5: yet to come and pray. Come on.
6: I certainly believe that there are greater things to be done in this city, and uh, to be able to sing that with you this morning fills me with an incredible sense of joy and gratitude. And uh, this morning, this is the time in the service where we give our offering, our generous offering. And y'all, when we do this, when we give our generous offering, we, we are making an investment so that greater things can be done in this city and in through Firewheel Bible Fellowship that we can bring sound biblical teaching to this community and the surrounding communities. Family, we are self-supporting. We support this ministry together, and so I ask that God would fill us with that sense of gratitude and joy as we give generously. Uh, we can give in and through our offering as we pass our baskets this morning, we can give in our offering boxes, we can give online through text message, through the, through the mail, but here's the deal, we need to give and we need to be a generous people, amen? Uh, So, Lord, we are so filled with joy and gratitude for the incredible blessings that, Lord, as you spoke to your disciples on the mountain, right before you ascended into heaven, you said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have commanded. And I'm with you to the end of the age. Lord, as we undertake your mission, your great commission, you are with us. And we we are being sent into this city, into this community, to bring tangible and true hope through you, Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection, your scriptures, that you yourself are the word. And as we proclaim the word, we are proclaiming Jesus We thank you, Lord, for this ministry, and we thank you for the work that you are doing in and through this church. And we pray that you would stir in us such incredible gratitude and such incredible generosity that we would give freely with joy and expectation of what you're going to do in this community. And so, Lord, we give our offering to you this morning as an act of worship with hearts of gratitude and joy. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. We pray this all in your glorious and holy name. Amen.
4: stories of perfect in all of your ways to us and you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am
7: August 15th at 4 p.m. as we gather for a church-wide ice cream social. We will have Bluebell ice cream with all the fixings for making a delicious Sunday. Come play ping-pong, foosball, and cornhole with old friends. Meet some new friends and visit with the staff and leaders at Firewheel. Have you ever been to a newcomer's luncheon? August 22nd immediately following the service. Come join us for some yummy food and learn about who we are at Firewheel and how to get connected. Want to learn how to study the Bible verse by verse? At Foundations on Wednesday nights beginning in September, you will be shown methods and tools to aid you in your study and help you grow in your faith. For more information on these or any of the things going on around Firewheel, go online to Firewheelfellowship.com, or you can always check us out on social media.
6: All right, so y'all ready for some sound biblical teaching? Yeah, well, if you've been in any of our Bible studies this morning, whether the book of Acts, Romans, or Daniel, you've already received some sound biblical teaching. Uh, But this morning, we're turning to the Gospel of Matthew. So let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. Word. Okay, everybody got a Bible. Let's see, anybody got a Bible? Got any Bibles in the house? All right, anybody got a pen? Anybody got a pen? Y'all ready? How about a sermon buddy? Y'all got a sermon buddy? Some of you are wondering what a sermon buddy is. It is a it is a literal walkthrough of the message today. So if you want to walk out of here with a structure and the content of Matthew chapter one, verses one through seventeen, grab a sermon buddy. If you'd like one, please raise your hand. We'll make sure one gets to you this morning. Uh, or maybe you have brought a pad of paper, but you have come ready to study the Scripture. So as I introduced last week, We're turning to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to make our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go verse by verse through the text. And and looking at Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses, I introduced four questions last week, which will really serve as the framework of this week's message. First, why are we starting with a genealogy? Why does Matthew start with a genealogy? Second question, why David and Abraham? Third question we're going to look at is why four women, and, and really why these four women out of out of all uh, uh, of the women who could have been mentioned, why these four? And then why the number fourteen uh, will be our final question of the morning. Well, we ended off last week with the question, why does Matthew start with a genealogy? Because I don't know about you, but anyone that I know of or my experience, when I opened the Bible for the first time, I was immediately met. With a list of names uh, that I had never read before, people, places that I had never even even I wasn't familiar with. Uh, in fact, uh, my my friend uh, and and longtime care pastor here at Firewall Bible Fellowship, Ron Jordan. Ron, where are you at? Where are you at, Ron? Hey, there he is. There's Ron. Uh, does a just a wonderful ministry here. Ron is our resident chaplain and and so often uh, if you 're in the hospital or if you're you're going through some stuff you're, you're most likely going to hear from, from Ron. he He is such uh, a, a ministering pastor here at Firewheel. We thank you for your love and service well, he told me the story this week of when he was in fifth grade, which was a couple of years ago, right Ron yeah a few just a few just <laughs> Few, few years ago, and uh, Gideon's was on his elementary campus, and they were handing out New Testaments, and so all of the kids got New Testaments, and they were bringing them class, and the teacher had all of the kids open up their New Testament, and they were going to start at the beginning, and they were going to read through the New Testament, and that'll tell you how long ago this was, this story, um, and so they open up to Matthew chapter 1, and they begin reading, and they were, you know, making their way through the genealogy, and struggling with the names, and all that, well, they got done with the genealogy, and the teacher stopped the class and says is that all that's in the bible what a waste of time and had the kids shut their bibles and and put them away well no uh, genealogies are not all that is in the bible but i want to make a statement you need to hear this there is no wasted space in sacred scripture Everything that fills this precious real estate is important. And in this particular genealogy that we're going to be studying is not only the most important genealogy in the Bible, it's some of the most important scripture found anywhere in in the scriptures. And here is why. Because the genealogy of Matthew historically proves Jesus' legal right to sit on the throne of David— now that may not mean much to us right now, but we have to understand that there is so much more to Jesus than we realize, than most people know, and even more than most teachers teach. You see, Jesus is in first and foremost the Messiah King of Israel which really encapsulates the purpose of the gospel of Matthew to present Jesus as king. And so Matthew sets out to demonstrate through what was a very accessible genealogy just who Jesus is. And what I mean by accessible is that Israel kept a very detailed genealogical record. Long before Ancestry.com, there was the Jewish genealogical record of the people of Israel. And it served a very, very important purpose because it showed the lines of ancestry all the way back to the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis. You see, the genealogy didn't lie. If a person claimed to be of Israel, they better be able to prove it. And if a person claimed to be the Messiah of Israel, you better have rock-solid evidence to substantiate that claim. And what I find fascinating is Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was challenged on so many things, but never once was he challenged based upon his genealogy. It would have been incredibly easy for the religious leaders to go back through the ancestral record and registry and pull Jesus' history and be able to see Joseph descendant, or J- Jesus descendant of Joseph and all the way back if there was even a slight discrepancy in the lineage, if at any point his ancestral record was deviating from the line of David, they could produce the record and prove Jesus a fraud and not the Messiah. I quote here from J. Vernon McGee. He writes this, This is interesting and important because they challenged every move of the Lord Jesus, even offering up a substitute explanation for the resurrection, but they never did question his genealogy. The reason must have been that they checked it out and found that it was accurate. And as it relates to accuracy, J. Vernon McGee continues, the New Testament rests upon the accuracy of this genealogy because it established the fact that Jesus The Lord Jesus Christ is of the line of Abraham and of the line of David. Both are very important. As students of the Scriptures, we need to know that Jesus is of both the line of David and of Abraham. You see, the line of Abraham placed him in the nation, and the line of David places him on the throne. He is in that royal line. Now, to better understand uh, what we're going to be looking at in Matthew chapter 1, I went for a contemporary example of how a genealogy is used to prove a line of royalty. So I took a quick trip to Great Britain via Wikipedia. Uh, and so here is the contemporary uh, uh, British line of succession. We should have a picture. Oh, there we go. So right up there at the top, and you'll notice the darkened line, we go from Queen Elizabeth down to to Prince Charles, uh, Prince of Wales, and then down to Prince William, Duke of Cambridge, and and then down to their children, Prince George and Princess Charlotte and Prince Louis, and then back up uh, to Prince Harry, and down to Archie and Lilbet, and then back all the way up to Andrew, Duke of York, and, and so on. And, and in as I reflected on that, I, my immediate thought was, wow, they're still doing that, huh? Anyway, if you have any, if any Brits in the house, you are loved as well. You are loved here at Firewell. Um, but the purpose of this genealogy serves an important uh, role. Because what it does is it protects the royal line and the throne of, of Britain. And that, what it means is Larry, uh, Duke of Garland, Can't just like walk in, kick the door open at Buckingham Palace and proclaim himself the king. Why? Because he's not of the ancestral line. Well, the same is with Jesus. If it cannot be proven that he is of the legal and royal line of David, then he is not the king. But if according to Jesus' human lineage, it can be proven that he is of the legal and royal line of David and that he is of the house and lineage of Abraham, we best prepare ourselves to take the humble posture of knees bent, head bowed, proclaiming Jesus as king. Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now this unique opening of Matthew's Gospel draws our attention to the focal point of not only this genealogy, not only the focal point of the Gospel of Matthew or of the New Testament or of the Old Testament, but but really the focal point of all of human history. You see, Jesus Christ is the central person in all of the scriptures, the Old Testament pointing to him, the New Testament revealing him, and now the church anticipating his return. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. The name Christ, and it's really a title, it's not his last name, it means Messiah or King. Both names together declaring the twofold purpose of Jesus. Jesus, Savior, Christ, King. And so this week, every time you hear the name or think the name or read the name Jesus, I want you to immediately say, Savior. And every time you hear the name or think the name or read the name Christ I immediately want you to say King and even when that that person uh, profanes the glorious name and in frustration declares Jesus Christ I want you to immediately go Savior King so let's practice Jesus Christ Jesus Christ whoo So this morning, every time you hear the name Jesus, or Christ, feel free to declare it. Jesus Christ. Whoo! And in this verse, the verse of Matthew's gospel, there are two very important people of the Old Testament referenced, both David and Abraham, which can lead us to scratch our heads a little bit and ask the second question that we're going to be looking at why David and Abraham and and really how is Jesus yeah the son of David and the son of Abraham I'm really glad you all asked that question. That's good. So David and Abraham, two of the more significant people of the Old, Old Testament, and I'll be honest with you, I love studying the life of David and Abraham, for to do so is even to study Christ, because they were not only recipients of, but representatives of two of the most important or significant Old Testament covenants. And what I mean by covenant When you hear that word covenant, it means a legally binding contract made between God and his people. A legally legally binding contract made between God and his people. And, And what we'll come to discover is that when God makes a covenant, he doesn't break his covenants. We may break his covenant, but God does not break his covenant. And the genealogy, as we're going to see as we see it unfolded, is God time and again keeping His covenant. So God established two significant covenants with Abraham and with David, and by declaring Jesus Christ the son of David and the son of Abraham, what Matthew is declaring is that Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills the promises of the covenants made to David and Abraham. So we're gonna briefly look at the two covenants. The first is called the Davidic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, and this was established in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter seven, and really the whole chapter chapter seven, but I isolated two verses, verses 12 and 13. David had desired, he had a desire, a very good desire, he wanted to build God a house. And God, through Nathan the prophet, was like, I appreciate your heart, but I'm going to build a house. And really, I'm going to establish a kingdom in and through you, David. The verse reads, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That through the royal line of David would come a king who would rule forever. Over a kingdom that will have no end, an authority that has no equal, a rule that has no rival. We're speaking of the theocratic rule of God on planet earth. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise made to David some 900 years before the birth of Christ. That when God declared, I will establish the throne of his kingdom, he was speaking of the throne and rule of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is the kingdom and a rule that Jesus will establish when he returns for his church. Church, get ready. The Lord is going to return. Following that great tribulation as recorded in the book of Revelation will come the great millennial reign of Christ where he will take his rightful seat on the throne of David and the church will rule with Christ. King. King. Well, the second great covenant referenced in Matthew 1-1 centers on the great patriarch of Israel, Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. Delivered to Abraham... In Genesis 12, referenced in other passages, we're gonna look at Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18. Genesis 22, by the way, in my opinion, is some of the holiest scripture of the Old Testament. Every time I teach it, I remove my shoes, because I feel like it's holy ground. For it is up the hill of Genesis 22 that Abraham walked with his son The wood was laid upon his son Isaac, and when they reached the place of sacrifice, he laid his son out on the wood, preparing to sacrifice him, his only son. God intervenes. But there would come a day when God's son, his only son, would walk up most likely that same hill, carrying a cross. And upon it he would be laid, but there would be no intervention from heaven. The father would offer his son as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Genesis 22, holy ground. And it was at that moment, in an obedience, the Lord spoke to Abraham through an angel Verse 16, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring, plural, as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring, singular, shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Y'all, Jesus is that offspring. Jesus is that blessing that through the conduit of Abraham would come the blessings of Jesus to the world. That when Abraham looked up at the stars and the constellation and as he looked out over the sands, what he was seeing were the children of faith who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Family, we who are of Jesus, we are a part of that celestial blessing. We who are of Christ are of the innumerable sand grains of salvation. That through the Lord Jesus Christ, we are recipients of the divine blessings of God. And as you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, you'll notice that David is referenced first and then Abraham, which just led people to question why David first and why Abraham? They're out of order, chronologically speaking. It is because for Israel to receive the divine promises of Abraham, they would first have to bend their knee to Jesus Christ, King. And in today's economy of the church, So often we hear, I want the blessings of God. I want the blessings of God. We will not receive the full blessings of God until we bend our knee before him as king. Then come the true blessings. So with all of that, we are now going to travel back some 4,000 years. And we're going to begin to unfold this, this genealogy, beginning with Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. We are going to travel from Abraham to David through the genealogical record. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. I remember the day I was sitting at a burrito restaurant, Southern California. You never had a Southern California burrito? I'll pray for you. Pray, God, have mercy. Provide that heavenly manna to you at some point in time in your life. But as we sat there over a burrito, I was sitting with my pastor. I would just come to faith. And I, and I, t- I asked him, I said, man, t- show me. Like, what is this all about? And, and you know the first thing he said to me? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's like, that's the foundation. Let's start there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob— Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez by Zerah, uh, and Zerah by, what is that name? Tamar. That's interesting. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, what we may not realize is this is essentially a 14-generation overview of the books of Genesis through 2 Samuel. This literally is the framework or the skeletal system God bringing about and unfolding his sovereign plan through people, and really a specific people, the people of Israel. We have this this genealogical uh, skeletal system which the Old Testament is built. And so it breaks down like this, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Judah, Judah to Perez by Tamar, Perez to Hezron, Hezron to Ram, Ram to Amminadab, Amminadab to Nashon, Nashon to Sammon, Salmon to Boaz by Rahab, Boaz to Obed by Ruth, Obed to Jesse, Jesse to King David, King David to Solomon by the wife of Uriah. There are four women listed in this section of the genealogy. It's fascinating. We have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. We know it's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. So it leads us to our third question. And this has often been the ponderings of those who have studied this genealogy. Why four women? And more specifically, why these four women? Like, why would Matthew have chosen these particular women? Out of all of the women of the Old Testament that are caught up in this genealogy, like Sarah or Rebecca or Leah, why these women? Both Tamar and Rahab were prostitutes. Tamar, Ruth, and Rahab were foreigners. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah. And while not named directly, we know the wife of Uriah was Bathsheba. Listen to this. The woman that King David took in an adulterous affair, then finding out she had become pregnant, tried to trick her husband Uriah. When that didn't work, he had Uriah killed. Then he took Bathsheba to be his wife. Why would Matthew include the dirty laundry? In this list of names. Because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. On this list of the genealogy so far, we have read about, may not realize, but we've read about liars, manipulators, murderers, swindlers, idolaters, prostitutes, and cheats. When we really start to understand who is on the list, our response should be like, how did they make the list? Like, how are they on it? Which I think will be a very similar experience when we stand before the throne and the, the Lamb's Book of Life is opened and we find our names on it. How did I make the list? And I know there's going to be a couple of us like, how did they make the list? <laughs> <laughs> Really? Because Jesus has come to save us from our sins. There's only one perfect found in the genealogy. It's Jesus. The list goes on. Matthew chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, we now move from Solomon to the Babylonian deportation. We are now covering the books of 1 Kings through 2 Chronicles. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, then the divided kingdom, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Any parents now expecting great opportunity to maybe pick a name? Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham the father of Ahaz Ahaz is on the list if you all know anything about Ahaz what is he doing on the list you all know Ahaz's wife's name Jezebel What? okay Ahaz the father of Hezekiah oh we're like oh yeah Hezekiah yeah Hezekiah the father of Manasseh Manasseh the father of Amos and Amos the father of Josiah I love that name I love the name Josiah. So much so we named our firstborn son Josiah, the boy king. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. This is the 14 generation overview of the books of 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Do not forget, God unfolds his perfect plan and through imperfect people. David to Solomon, Solomon to Rehoboam, Rehoboam to Abijah, Abijah to Asaph, Asaph to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat to Joram, Joram to Uzziah, Uzziah to Jotham, Jotham to Ahaz, Ahaz to Hezekiah, Hezekiah to Manasseh, Manasseh to Amos, Amos to Josiah, Josiah to Jeconiah, and then this is just such an interesting little statement, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, 586 BC. That's where the story should have ended. That's really where the genealogy should have ended. Babylon conquered the southern kingdom, leveled Jerusalem, leveled the temple. God's people had turned from him, and in wickedness they were judged. In their wickedness, God God told them, "You, you turn, turn back to me. He's crying out through the prophets. They, they, they decided they refused to return. No one would have thought that the story was going to continue. Israel was judged for their utter wickedness. No way the, co- the covenant promises would continue. But again, who made the covenant with Israel? Who made the covenant? God don't break his covenants. That when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the temple in the year 586 B.C., the nation of Israel ceased to exist. And for 70 years, there was no nation of Israel, but the covenant promises continued, for the genealogy continues. Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. We now move from the deportation to Jesus. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim. And there's a point here where we, we move, we can trace it through the scriptures and then all of a sudden we're moving into a genealogical record that we no longer have access to but preserved here in the book of Matthew. And Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azar, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Methan, Methan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. There's our fifth woman of the genealogy. Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, you see, called title, Christ. He is King. We made it to Jesus. (laughs) That's right. This is the genealogical overview of the books of Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and beyond. This 14 generation overview. And again, you have Jeconiah to Shiltil, Shiltil to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel to Abiud, Abiud to Eliakim, Eliakim to Azor, Azor to Zadok, Zadok to Akim, Akim to Eliud, Eliud to Eleazar, Eleazar to Methan, Methan to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph, <coughs> Joseph to Jesus, the legal father. And we're going to watch as that unfolds, and it's very important that I say legal father. Because we'll come to discover who Jesus' father truly is. Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth, the betrothed husband of Mary, to whom would be born Jesus, Savior, Christ, King. We can literally trace Jesus' earthly lineage all the way back through 2,000 plus years of genealogical record and through the genealogy of luke 3 we can actually trace jesus's lineage all the way back to adam the first adam and now the second adam it is powerful and profound stuff so now matthew concludes his genealogy in a unique way with numbers which should not be all that shocking because we know By trade, Matthew is what? A tax collector. So he starts playing with some numbers. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. And this is going to lead us to ask the question, why the number 14? So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon uh, to the Christ, 14 generations. So Matthew breaks it up and to 14 generation sections, right? So from Abraham to David, 14, David to deportation, 14, deportation to Jesus, 14. Why? Well, some argue, I think they're right, that Matthew here is, is dabbling a little bit in Hebrew numerology. And what I mean by that is taking a Hebrew letter and taking its coinciding number and using that. So in Hebrew... David's name is made up of three consonants. By the way, Hebrew does not naturally have any vowels, which is really exciting when you're trying to learn Hebrew and it's reading from right to left and nothing's familiar. It was a great two years. Anyway, still have those dreams. Y'all have any of those dreams from like when you were in school, like you forgot to take a class and you wake up and you're like, oh, no. I've gotta to go to 11th grade English. And you're like, I'm 41 years old. <laughs> sure, I pass that. Anyway, David breaks up into three consonants, DVD, and so the coinciding numbers six to six, which equals 14. So essentially, the, uh, the genealogy would break up like this. David, 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 Jesus Christ, the son of David. That means Jesus is the king. That's right. So the question is, or as we we, wrap things up this morning, what does the genealogy of Matthew teach us? What does it teach us? Well, it teaches us that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. It teaches us that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the covenant promises. It teaches us that Jesus has the legal right to the throne of David. That means Jesus is the king. One of the takeaways I'm seeing is that God brings about his perfect will through really messy people. It's kind of an understatement actually as you read through the genealogy and study their lives. Really messy. Which is why I feel very comfortable around the, these names, because if it was all filled with perfect, perfect people, I, I don't know, because I ain't perfect. Not even close to it. And the, and the significance that God does perfect work through really messy people, I'm like, then maybe God can use a person like me. Nothing can stop the will of God from being accomplished. I see this through the genealogy, that at the right time, Jesus came into the world through wars and the rise and fall of nations, through a wayward and wandering people called Israel, through their complete apostasy and turning away, God's perfect will was
1: accomplished.
6: And I know we look out at the world right now and there's all these things and all these questions and there's Delta variant and there's the Lambda variant and, and we're watching the Olympics and we're like, it's weird, where are all the people? And, and, and everything's just messy and, and, and messed up in the world and there's wars and there's all kinds of natural disasters and we're like, everything's out of control. And we have to be reminded, no, God is in control. He is sovereign over history. He is going to bring about his perfect will. And the more our hearts and our lives are founded on the Scriptures and on God Himself, the more we will find stability in the chaos. Yes, the storms will rage and the waters will rise, but our feet are founded on the rock that is Jesus. And in that, our feet will not slip. We will find refuge in the shadow of His wings and comfort in the intimacy of a real, true, tangible relationship with God through Christ and his scriptures. I'm reminded through the genealogy that everything points to Jesus. I mean, I see it like this scarlet thread of Christ that, that weaves its way through the Old Testament. To study the Old Testament is to study Jesus to study the New Testament is to see Jesus and to study Jesus, it fills me with such a, a sense of awe and in like gratitude and worship. Where I can freely bend my knee to Jesus. Jesus. Christ. Jesus. Christ. Jesus. Christ! We have proclaimed his glorious name. The heavens rejoicing. And I am reminded that there's so much more to learn. When I first opened the Bible, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 was a complete enigma, a genealogical riddle. Now today, this genealogy opens up like a radiant rose it displays a beauty that I never imagined. If this is just a confusing list of names, let us teach you. Let us have the honor and the privilege of giving to you what has been so freely given to us. Let us unfold the scriptures before you. Let us teach you how to study the Bible for yourself so you're not dependent. On these, these little bite sized pieces, these little morsels that are being, being given out, and, and these things that sound like profound spiritual truth, and you really lay it up against the scripture and you're like, wait, you're spiritually existing on that? That's the source of your spiritual nutrition? That God wants you to live your best life now? That's the content? That's a cloud with no rain. That's a field with no fruit. The scriptures, this is where we find our soul's nutrition. This is where we find our foundation. And to that end, Wednesday evenings, starting September 1st, we begin foundations. It's where we learn how to study the Bible as it sits. We are going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So on Wednesday nights, we'll be in Genesis. On Sunday morning, we'll be in Matthew. And then in our Sunday morning Bible studies, we'll be in the book of Acts and Romans and Daniel. Bring a Bible. Bring a pen and and a pad of paper. Prepare yourself. Be ready. And let's grow in the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. All right, next week we are going to witness the most significant and awesome and awe-inspiring birth where the Lord Jesus Christ took up our flesh and tabernacled among us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, our Father in heaven, our Holy Spirit, our Triune God, we thank you today As we've unfolded your scriptures, as we've gleaned and as we've learned, our souls have been enriched. Our souls so hungry for you. We are reminded that blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I pray that your, your ministering work has filled our souls. As our minds have been oriented To your divine truth. May our lives be aligned with your divine truth. Jesus, we worship you. We glorify you. If you have not bent your knee to King Jesus, please hear this. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, and he has risen. He is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. Today, you are ready to bend your knee, to place your life and your trust in Jesus and what he has done for you on the cross. And in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried, and I believe you have risen. Please, Jesus, I ask for forgiveness for my sins. I place my life in your hands. I trust you. Please save my life. If that is your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you've just passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. You are forever a son or a daughter of the living God. Welcome to the family. Glory. Glory. We rejoice in your salvation. In the strong name of Jesus, Savior, Christ, King, we pray. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together. Y'all stretch. Let's give the Lord a wave offering. Stretch out that sciatic. Which I didn't know was a thing. Apparently, I'm in my 40s now. (laughs) Some of you are like, you're still a kid. (laughs) Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. No, you are loved. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let's now carry that love outside these doors. But before we do, I know we're going to scamper off to Luby's. I don't know if Luby's is still around. We're going to scamper off to something. But before we do, let's spend time with one another. If you don't recognize somebody, say hello. Welcome them to Firewheel, And I hope you all have a great day. If you'd like to speak with me, by the way, I'm up front here every Sunday. Come on up. I'd love to meet you.